Hello and welcome to Reading the Bible Cover to Cover in 365 Days. My name is Andrea Lendy, author of the book and Bible reader and studier for over a decade. And I'm excited to share some thoughts with you about today's reading. Welcome to day 155 of Reading the Bible Cover to Cover in 365 Days. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for speaking to us through your word. Help us hear the message you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's see what's happening in Luke chapter 22. Jesus is betrayed in this chapter. Judas met with the chief priests. There are three insights about sin I'd like to point out. First, when Judas met with the priests, verse 5 says they were delighted. Co-conspirators in sin delight together in sin. Second, once one is committed to sin, one is always looking for a way to sin. Verse 6 says, Judas sought an opportunity to sin. Our minds cannot stop revolving around in that sinful place once a decision is made. Third, in verses 40 and 46, Jesus tells his disciples to pray against temptation. Even the Lord's prayer includes prayer against temptation. Let us pray for God to deliver us from sin and keep us from temptation of it. People ask me every once in a while if I think prayer works. Verses 31 and 32 say, Simon, Simon Peter, listen. Satan has asked excessively that all of you be given up to him out of the power and keeping of God, that he might sift all of you like grain. But I have prayed especially for you, Peter, that your own faith may not fail. And when you yourself have turned again, strengthen and establish your brethren. Jesus prayed many times as recorded in the four gospels. He fed thousands of people twice as he prayed. He brought Lazarus back from the dead through prayer. In verse 44, it says, and being in agony of mind, he prayed all the more earnestly and intently, and his sweat became like great clots of blood dropping down upon the ground. The Lord prayed earnestly in preparation for the next hours and days when he would be beaten, whipped, and nailed to the cross. Jesus used prayer, taught us how to pray, and taught us that prayer works. Let us lean into prayer knowing the Lord hears and answers our prayers. In Revelation chapter 6, we read about six of the seven seals opened up by Christ. Verse 2 starts with Christ riding on a white horse, carrying a bow and wearing a crown. And it says, he rode forth conquering and to conquer. Jesus conquered sin and continues to work to conquer sin in ourselves and in the world. His crown reminds us he is king and that he is the victor. He is always victorious. He rides on a white horse, showing his purity. We are blessed to be won over and saved by our king. The next three seals can be construed as God's judgment for those who do not accept Christ as their Savior. The flaming red horse takes away peace and causes men to slaughter one another, as in war, for where there is no peace, there is war. Jesus came to grant us peace. Let us receive it and stand on it, no matter what happens around us. It is our right through our belief in Jesus to walk in peace. The black horse represents famine upon the earth. Often during and after war, there is famine and food prices rise. Most everyone is affected, but let us turn to Jesus, who is the bread of life. He will sustain us through the difficulties of our lives. If we look at war and famine figuratively as a war that wages within us between good and evil and famine as spiritual drought, we can take heart that Jesus is victorious over it all. We are saved by his blood. The final horse, the black and blue horse, is one of death and destruction. It brings pestilence, disease, and plague to the impenitent. Those who continue to live in sin and unforgiveness are brought down to live in eternal punishment. Then we read about those who sacrifice their lives for belief and testimony in Christ. They are waiting somewhat impatiently for Jesus' judgment. 
They are clothed in white robes and told to wait a little longer until all their peers would join them. The sixth seal we read about begins with an earthquake, the sun turning black and the moon becoming like blood. Stars drop out of the sky and it vanishes. Mountains and islands are dislodged. Everything is disrupted and all people hide from the wrath of God. Some scholars say this represents what has already occurred within the Jewish nation. Some say it is yet to come. Either way, the Lord will have his day and all that he has created will come under his judgment. Those who believe in his son will be saved. I cling to verses like Psalm 91 verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no foe can withstand. We are covered, protected, and saved by Jesus. We start Second Kings today. We will read more about Elijah and Elisha, as well as the time leading up to the fall of both the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. Remember, these were once one nation, but divided after King Solomon died. Because Solomon's heart went after other gods, the Lord determined to take the nation away from Solomon's son. He would leave one tribe intact, the tribe of Judah. And this is the tribe that Jesus' genealogy comes from. Ahaziah is king over Israel. He ruled for two years. He followed in the sins of his father Ahab and mother Jezebel, who served Baal. The Moabites rose up against the Israelites, and this is the only thing we read about it here. Then we read that Ahaziah fell in his own home, which ultimately caused his death. He was so concerned about whether he would live that he sent messengers to a god of Baal to ask if he would live. The prophet Elijah came upon his messengers, and he prophesied Ahaziah would die because he sought a false god instead of Almighty God. Then Ahaziah sent three sets of 50 men to bring Elijah back to him. The first two sets of men were burned with fire from God. The third set begged Elijah to spare them. God assured Elijah it was okay for him to go to the king. Elijah went and he told the king he would die because he didn't ask of the living God. Chapter 2 is one of the most interesting chapters in the Bible. Elijah is translated into heaven before Elisha's eyes. Elijah kept asking Elijah to stay put, but Elijah intended to stay with him until the end. It is possible Elijah simply wanted to go quietly to heaven. However, Elijah was bound and determined to stay attached to him as long as he could. Surprisingly, the prophets in the different towns they passed through knew Elijah was going to leave Elisha, and they told him so. Elisha told him that he also knew and asked them to hold their peace. Elijah traveled over the Jordan to the side Moses was buried on to be taken up to heaven. We read the Jordan separated in two for the prophets to walk to the other side. Elijah rolled up his cloak, which is called a mantle, and struck the waters. They separated just as they did for Joshua. Elijah wanted to give a gift to Elisha before he departed. Elisha chose a double portion of his spirit to be upon him. If Elisha kept his eye on him and saw him depart, it would be granted. Of course, we read that Elisha did watch, and he saw the chariot of fire and horses of fire take Elijah up to heaven. What a sight that must have been. We don't know why Elijah was gifted this translation instead of dying first, but there were multiple witnesses who could tell of God's glory through it all. Elisha took Elijah's cloak, parted the Jordan, and walked back through it. Everyone could see that he was granted Elijah's spirit. Well, let's see what wisdom Solomon writes about in Proverbs chapter 5. He again addresses godly wisdom and encourages the reader to listen to him so that we would have discretion, knowledge, and speak wisely. Verses 3 through 14 could be taken literally or figuratively. Taken literally, allowing someone of loose morals to lead someone into sin causes much emotional distress. God made our consciences to help lead us through this life. When we go against what we know is right, it may seem good for a moment, but then grips us after the act. As we read about Judas's betrayal today, there was excitement at first, 
and then we know he took his life as soon as it was done. If we look at these verses figuratively, we can see that any temptation to wrongdoing and sin is much the same. Seems exciting at first, but is distressing in the end. Both ways of considering these verses teach us that sin is a slippery slope and leads the way to death. Verses 8 through 10 say, Let your way in life be far from her, and come not near the door of her house. Avoid the very scenes of temptation, lest you give your honor to others and your years to those without mercy, lest strangers and false teachings take their fill of your strength and wealth and your labors to go to the house of an alien from God. And the warnings continue. No good thing comes from sin. As Jesus teaches us, let us pray against temptation from it. The rest of the chapter is directed specifically to infidelity and making sure we do not walk in those ways, but be satisfied with our own marriage partners. Again, let us pray for God's strength and for God to help us find the wonder and beauty in our own relationships that he has ordained. Let us pray. O Lord, thank you for your word that continues to teach us about walking in your ways. Help us lean into you for everything we need. May our hearts and minds be turned to you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for walking this journey with me and being a faithful reader of God's word. I pray that he shows himself as the God who loves you deeply and cares about every detail in your life. Come back tomorrow for some more thoughts and insights as you read God's word.